appreciate it, but we're going to read our scripture today. It's from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Let's do this response together. Lord, make your word our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your glory, our supreme concern, for the sake of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, over the past four weeks, we have been exploring the most epic journey that God desires to take each and every one of us on. It is a journey of being transformed more into the likeness of Jesus for the sake of others. And we've seen together that this journey has some predictable parts as we go along. It starts with an encounter with God. We can expect some resistance on our part. We can expect that we will need to stretch beyond where we are to move toward God's grander vision. We've seen this journey play out in the lives of, of several different people from Scripture. We've seen it in the life of Moses and in the life of Jonah, in Esther's life, and last week in the life of the disciples. But today we want to focus in on what makes this journey truly possible. To help us grasp just how critical this part of the journey is, I'd like for us to look at one of the most epic journeys in our nation's history. It's a journey that is known as the Corps of Discovery Expedition, but is better known to us as the journey of Lewis and Clark. Thank you very much, Lewis and Clark. In 1803, President Thomas Jefferson, he tagged his personal secretary, Meriwether um, Lewis, to lead an expedition to find this northwestern passage, um, hopefully by water, to the Pacific. Is this something that had been attempted many times before? No one else had been able to do it. But this time, with the backing of the president, Lewis does all the things to get ready for this expedition. He goes and gets all kinds of training in things like botany and celestial navigation and zoology and medicine. And then he gets all kinds of supplies, including 106 liters of salt, because food is important, right? You got to preserve it. Um, 176 pounds of gunpowder and it says uh, 45 flannel shirts. It notes that because fashion, right? You got to look good if you're going to make this expedition across the way. 
But he also gathered all kinds of equipment, including this specially designed boat um, that, that had this iron frame that could be unassembled and reassembled whenever they might need it. And then, of course, he needed lots of people to go along with him as well. First, he, he recruits his co-commander, William Clark, who was his military superior at one point in time. And then he goes and he recruits what must have been a group of very high-quality men because guess where they were from? Right here in Kentucky. Nine men were recruited from here in the Louisville area. And then to round out the bunch, Lewis even got a dog named Seaman to keep them company along the way. Finally, after all of these preparations had been made in 1804, Lewis and Clark actually set out on this expedition, again, with the backing of the president, with all their things, with all their people and their dog to boot on what would be a two and a half year journey that would cover nearly 8,000 miles all the way out to the Pacific Ocean and back again. Lewis and Clark triumphed where others had failed, not finding a water route exactly to the, to the northwest all the way to the Pacific, but getting there all the same. And in the, past, in the process, they discovered something like 300-plus new species of, of plants and animals. And they ran into this little thing called the Rocky Mountains, right? Like they didn't even know they were over there. Um, and now, over 200 years later, we still encounter their names all over the place, Right? We have Lewis and Clark high schools and colleges. We read about them in our history books. There are caves and counties and rivers and some of those plants and animals that they found that bear their name. However, truth be told, these two men would likely just be a footnote in history of yet another failed attempt to find a passage to the Northwest if it hadn't been for a guide that helped them succeed. I bet you all know her name as well. Sacagawea, right? They, they say maybe uh, now her name should be uh, Sacagawea, but we all grew up in Kentucky, Sacagawea, right? Like that's what we know. We'll stick with that. But she was initially brought along just to be an interpreter with other indigenous groups as they went along. But she proved so much more helpful than that. For example, it came a point where they needed to get across the Rocky Mountains that they had run into, and they needed horses to do it. And so she's interpreting this, this transaction between um, a, a group of, of Native Americans and the expedition, and lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, the chief was her brother. And so they were able to strike a deal. They got the horses that they needed. She was also this token of peace. You know, she just being with this group of men, a woman in the midst of that kind of party, communicated to other indigenous groups that, that encountered them that they weren't coming for war, right? They weren't coming going into battle. It, it communicated their, their friendly intent. She was able to find foods that this group could eat along the way that would keep their strength up. And at several very key points along the way, because she was familiar with this area, she knew the Rocky Mountains existed. She was able to point them in the right direction and help them complete their journey. In a letter that Clark wrote to her husband at the end of the expedition, he said this about her. He said, your woman who accompanied you that long, dangerous, and fatiguing route to the Pacific Ocean and back deserved a greater reward for her attention and services on that route than we had in our power to give her. Elsewhere, Clark praised her as his pilot. Lewis and Clark 
brought all the things to this journey. They brought all of their experiences and expertise and equipment. They brought all of their best efforts. But in the end, it was a good guide that made their challenging journey possible. And the same is true for us in our spiritual journey. You and I, we can bring our best to this journey with God, but it's not a journey that we can traverse by ourselves. We are going to need some support. We are going to need some direction. We are going to need some assistance. But the good news is God himself has already signed up to be our guide in the person of the Holy Spirit. Just hours before Jesus was going to be arrested and tried and beaten and crucified, he looked at his disciples and told them this. He says, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And as you hear those words, you should imagine in your mind the disciples going into panic attack mode, okay? Here are these disciples. They've left everyone and everything behind to follow Jesus. And now he's looking at them and saying that he's about to go away and that they, they aren't going to be able to follow him. Their guide is about to disappear before their eyes. And so they start asking questions. Lord, where are you going? Lord, how will we get to where you're going if we don't know where it is that you're headed? And so in the midst of all of this, Jesus reassures them. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus, in this, in this moment of anxiety, he gives them a promise. He gives them a promise of another advocate. In other words, another guide like him. But this another guide isn't some consolation prize. It's not some knockoff, counterfeit version. No, what Jesus is promising his disciples in this moment is the very same spirit that was in himself. The same spirit that had come on Jesus when he was baptized. The same spirit that had been in him, guiding him, directing him, empowering him throughout his earthly ministry. The same spirit that they don't know yet, but is about to raise Jesus from the dead in a matter of days. I can just imagine them hearing this and, and trying to process it. Because up until this point of, in time, the Holy Spirit only came on particular people for particular purposes, at particular points in time. And here's Jesus saying that the Holy Spirit is going to come on all of them, and not just for a moment, but would be with them always. And so to help the disciples grasp the another um, guide's role in their lives, he, he uses this very rich word to describe him. In the NIV that we read earlier, it's, it's translated as advocate, right? We heard that word. But if you were to pick up the King James Version, it would say comforter. And if we were to pick up the New American Standard Version, it would say helper, which might lead, a, lead us to, you know, kind of scratch our heads and be like, well, which one is it? Because while all those words seem kind of related, they're, they're not the same, right? But that's kind of the point of using this word. Because truth be told, the Holy Spirit is all of these things rolled up into one. 
it's kind of like a diamond. You know, you pick up a diamond and you turn it and the light reflects and there's just more and more and more to see of it. And that's what this word that is used here is as well. It's like this diamond. And so let's turn this word together a little bit. First of all, what this word communicates is that this guide is going to be our comforter. As we said earlier, the disciples are super anxious in this moment. They're not so sure about what their life is going to look like without Jesus physically beside, their, beside them to guide them in this journey that they have before them. But what Jesus says through this word is that this spirit that is coming is going to be their comforter. It's going to be the one that will console them, the one that is able to calm their fears. Perhaps you can think of a time in your life when, when things got difficult, when you lost something, when you lost someone that you loved, when you lost a dream, when you lost uh, what you thought was your purpose or your prize. And I think in that moment, what all of us realize when we find ourselves there is that there isn't some magical pill that we can take that just makes everything all right again, right? And nor is there like these magical words that someone can walk up to us and say that's going to fix everything. But what is able um, to help us cope in those moments more than anything else is someone that just comes and sits with us. Someone who is present with us. Someone who reminds us that even in the darkness of that moment, we are not alone. Um, Dallas Willard is this amazing writer and teacher about spiritual practices. And he tells the story of a little boy who lost his mom when he was very young. And so bedtime was particularly hard for him. You know, um, he would a lot of times find himself kind of sad and scared without his mother there. And so he would get up out of his bed and go and crawl into his father's bed late at night. But even then, as he was lying there in the darkness, sometimes his fear was still there. And so he would call out to his dad and he would say, Father, is your face turned toward me? And the father would reply, yes, you're not alone. I am with you. My face is turned toward you. And whenever the father would say that, the son would finally be able to rest. God, he, he has given us the Holy Spirit as we journey along in this life in the, to be with us in those moments where we feel sad or scared or down and discouraged in order to remind us that the father's face is always and everywhere turned toward us. We are never, ever alone. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. The Holy Spirit reminds us again and again and again that God is present. But the Holy Spirit is also our helper. As we saw last week, Jesus is about to give these disciples a very big task. He's about to tell them to go and make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them. And in short, he asked them to go and do exactly what he has been doing here on earth. They're supposed to take the ball and run with it which sounds like a pretty tall order, right? Some pretty big shoes to fill. But here's the deal. Jesus reminds them whenever he gives them that command and he reminds them in this moment that they are not going to have to do this by themselves. Our God gave those disciples and he gives us this divine strength and wisdom beyond ourselves. 
in order to join him in his work in the world. He, he not only gives us a purpose, but he gives us the power to carry it out. He gives us um, energy and insight that we need to live into this calling to love God and to love others as ourselves. Um, you might recognize these people on the screen. This is Justin and Ashley Guest. Um, Ashley grew up in our congregation here at Broadway. Uh, when they were first married, Justin and Ashley um, actually worshiped here at our Greenwood campus. But for the last 11 years, they have been serving as missionaries in Honduras. But this past spring, they started to sense that God might be sending them somewhere else. So they got on the phone and they started talking to the director of their program. They told them about this, this sense of, uh, of something different coming. And, and the director said to them, have you ever thought about Stockton, California? Stockton, California, if you're familiar with it, you know, is a city that, that has a lot of challenges. It's filled with homelessness. It's filled with um, poverty. There's a lot of, of gang violence that happens there. And so almost immediately when the director uh, suggested this, Ashley and Justin said, nope, not going there, not going to Stockton. So the director, you know, said, okay, and they matched them up with another ministry to talk to this ministry about whether or not they should come and serve with them. I'm not exactly sure where it was, but they got on the phone and they're about halfway through their interview with this other ministry and the ministry just stops them and says, have you ever thought about going to Stockton, California? <laughs> And they said, like, at that point, you know, it had come up more than once. And they were kind of like, I guess we should at least pray about it, right? So they start praying about it. And whenever they finally, like, come to the sense of peace, we're going to Stockton, California. Um, they call one of their missionary friends. And they say, we're going to Stockton, California. And she says, I know. I've been praying for you for months, you know. I had a sense that's where you were going. And then they called their director and they said to the director, we're going to go to Stockton. And she starts to tell them the story of being at a conference with the couple who had been in Stockton for a long, long time and started to tell them the story about how um, this couple was just like in tears, praying for the people that would come behind them, how they were particularly praying that the people that would come would be fluent in Spanish, with, which Justin and Ashley are. And when they start piecing the timeline together, they realize that the very same day that the director was having this conversation, and these people were praying for who was to come was the same day where they had this sense of consolation that they were supposed to go there. Of course, there were a whole lot of hurdles for them to overcome to make this move. You accumulate a lot of stuff in 11 years, right? And, and so they had to sell all their stuff. They had to figure out how to drive from Honduras to California, which was like 3,500 miles. They had to think about how to help their kids make the transition from one place to another. There was a new house they needed to buy. There was a car that they needed to get around. But at every step of the way, they had this helper that was guiding them along, giving them strength, giving them wisdom, giving them the energy and the insight that they needed to take whatever that next step was forward. Um, they sold all their stuff in practically a day. Um, they had this problem of how they were going to get the car taken care of, and it just like miraculously took care of itself. There was a matter of finding their home, and, um, and it, they had been striking out and finding it difficult, and they walked into this house, and they knew like this was the one they wanted. And um, there were lots of other people who had applied for it, though. But whenever they started talking to the owners, they're like, oh, you're Justin and Ashley? We fell in love with you when, you when we read your application. And so the house was theirs. 
And so again and again, they had this guy that kept nudging them, right? Not forcing them to go to Stockton, but nudging them in the direction and providing them what they needed in order to answer God's call. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is our helper. But not only that, he is our advocate as well. This is probably my favorite picture that this word gives us. You know, an advocate is the picture of a lawyer standing in a courtroom, and that lawyer is standing before the judge pleading on his client's behalf. He is standing there explaining to the judge over and over and over again his, his, um, his client's vantage point. The advocate makes sure that the plight of his, of his client is never, ever forgotten, that his case is heard over and over and over again. And that's what Jesus says that the Holy Spirit does for us before God the Father. As I was um, reflecting on this earlier this week, it kind of made me think of our son, Sam. Uh, Sam is three. He doesn't look three, but he's three. He's, you know, probably more like this. Um, Sam wakes up. And he opens his eyes, and he be- immediately begins to advocate for something, you know? It's like, can we go to, and just fill in the blank, right? So, like, can we go to the park today? Can we go to Cheney's today? Can we go to see the tractors at the John Deere store over here, which is like 15 minutes out of our way, right, Jeremy? But he wakes up with this on his mind. And he'll ask us, and we'll start by saying, no, we got such and such going on. And he'll say, okay. And then a few minutes or seconds later, he'll say, can we go to wherever it is today, right? And so he just keeps at it. He pleads his case over and over and over again until he literally wears our ears out and just totally, um, totally works through all of our resolve. I haven't done a scientific study, but I think like on the 1,013th time, we finally cave and he wins his case and we go and do whatever the thing is, right? We, we drive all the way across town to see the tractors at the John Deere store, go get that ice cream or go play at the park. But Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is as persistent as a three-year-old lawyer, all right? For us, for us. He wears God's ears out, pleading for us and rooting for us and fighting on our side. The Holy Spirit is our guide. He's our parakletos in the Greek. You know, it's this interesting word choice. Any word could have been chosen and put there, but this word is chosen. And it seems to me that this rich word is chosen at this critical moment for a very important picture. This multi-sided word is put in the mouth of Jesus. He speaks it to paint this beautiful yet very surprising picture of this guide and this God who journeys with us. It communicates to us that we have this guy that is not a commander that tries to control and dictate every step we take, only caring about us being victorious, but rather a comforter who comes alongside us and who is willing to sit with us even in the darkest moments of our lives. It says to us that our, our guide is not a heckler who is always, you know, harping on where it is where we've had a misstep or we've gotten off the path, but rather a helper who loves us, who is willing to stick with us and, and just keep getting us the guidance and the strength that we need to get back on track. 
He's not an adversary who's always testing us to see if maybe we have what it takes to even be on this journey at all. But rather an advocate who is rooting for us and cheering us on and fighting for us every step we take. This is the guide that Jesus has given us. The guide that Jesus asked the Father to give to those first disciples and who he's given to every disciple that has followed in their footsteps. Being shaped into the likeness of Jesus for the sake of others is not a journey that we can navigate all on our own. But we can move forward with courage and we can move forward with confidence, knowing that the same Holy Spirit that was within Jesus now lives in us. He has not left us as orphans. We have a partner, a partner who comforts us, who helps us, and who advocates for us. Every time we come to this table, we have an opportunity to experience this. To not just know it with our heads, but to experience it all anew. As we come, the Holy Spirit guides us to encounter Jesus, who was sent into this world by the Father to show us the way to him. And each time we eat of the bread and we drink of this juice, we are reminded of the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us to make this always with us guide possible. And so as you come today, I pray that you would be open to whatever it is that the Holy Spirit might need to say to you today. You know, do you come here today needing him to comfort you in a place of pain? May you be overwhelmed by his presence today, if so. Do you need to listen for the help that he's trying to extend? May his voice be loud, and may you know that his power is right here, available for you to take? Do you need to tune in to the way that he's advocating for you as you're trying to take your next step in love for him and love for others? Just rest assured, he is wearing God's ears out on your behalf today and fighting for you every moment. This guide is with you, and he is in you, and he is for you. You can trust this partner that God has given us to journey with us in this life. As we come to this table, we remember that on the night that Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread and he gave thanks to the Father. And then he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup. And once again, he gave thanks to the Father and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink from it, do this in remembrance of me. As those who are assisting this morning come forward, would you pray with me, please? Lord God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ. Make us one with each other and make us one in ministry to all the world until that day when Christ returns in final victory and we feast together at his heavenly banquet. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.